Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Hold My Dream, where we navigate the news and politics with a chaser of civility. I'm your host, Jen, inviting you to grab your favorite beverage, sit back, and imagine with us how to create a new American identity together. Welcome to this week's Hold My Drink and Counterweight podcast with my co-host, David Bernstein. And today, new background, I'm in California for this podcast. And today we've got, I'm actually speaking to my people back in Austin, Texas, Dustin Clark and Jeremy Story. And before we get into why they are on our podcast today, uh, Hold My Drink podcast, did you guys bring anything to the table today for this conversation? Got coffee today. I'm not drinking anything presently. <laughs> David, you? I'm just not a Diet Coke. Hate to be, you know, a We are all, because I have to tell you a funny story. So I'm the here. The dry podcast. That's what it yes, is. Yes, it's a dry podcast. And I'm here at home and my mom has decided, here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm adult. My mom has decided that I use the podcast as an excuse to drink too much. So I put water <laughs> in a wine glass. That's the best I've got for me today. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, Dustin and Jeremy, I know your story. A lot of Austin knows your story. You guys were considered disruptive at a school board meeting and uh, were arrested and spent the night in jail. This is in Round Rock, Texas, just north of Austin. And we're going to let you, David and I'll jump in, but if you guys want to start and just tell us your story, I know it's it's a popular story in Texas, but I'm not sure how many people outside of the United States or outside of, excuse me, our little bubble have heard of it. So yeah. Dustin, start with you, just right. you know, give us a little overview of what happened in Round Rock, Texas at the school board. Yeah. Um, so Jeremy and mine, uh, our story is a little different, but we crossed paths and uh, ended at the same place because we were both arrested on the same day, um, spent the night in jail, uh, well, separate for half the night, and then somewhere in the middle of the night, we got put in the same cell. Uh, but it started uh, really months ago. Um, we we are in a school district, Round Rock ISD, just a, it's a suburb just outside of Austin. And I've got four kids. Uh, in the school district, I've got a senior, uh, a senior, uh, sophomore, an eighth grader, and a third grader, and we've been here for a little over five years. Moved here um, right after getting out of the army, uh, after 13 years active duty service. Um, the army as a captain. Um, anyway, uh, what brought us here, though, to today, to this interview, is a couple of months ago, uh, probably back in I think May, June, the school district was working to hire superintendent. And um, I, I got engaged in that process and trying to understand it, talking with the board members about how they were doing it, how they were going about it. Um, and I started to learn that it seemed like there were a couple of board members that were a little more transparent, forthcoming with information. And then the majority of them weren't. And it was really odd. And so, you know, started talking with some other parents and, uh, you know, we started getting engaged, coming to the board, school board meetings, asking lots of questions, asking, you know, asking for open forums because, Things weren't adding up. Um, his qualifications weren't adding up for a school district our size. And as the summer went on, uh, we continued to raise different questions. They ended up voting to hire him. And then somewhere along the way, around the end of June, early July, um, we actually, it was probably about early to mid-July, the community members, myself and a number of other parents and Jeremy, learned 
that um, there were some allegations against the superintendent for uh, assaulting a pregnant woman. And so uh, again, like we did with the hiring process, process, we started asking questions. Um, again, the same couple of board members were as transparent as they could be. And some of them um, kind of took a, a deny, deny, deny approach. And so um, we started to get really concerned. And so we started to do a little digging ourselves. And um, then we started speaking about the allegations in the board meeting. It was around that time that we started to speak up about these things and ask these questions, you know, in the public, during public comments of these board meetings, that um, they started to reduce the number of chairs in the boardroom. In June, uh, so the, room, the board meeting room has a placard on the wall that says capacity is 375. Um, but I would say it would, you'd be shoulder to shoulder, it'd be really tight if they really had 375 chairs in there. In June, in the June meeting, there was, I would say, probably 120, maybe 200 chairs. I don't know the exact count, but plenty of chairs, no, no need for anybody to stand or wait outside the boardroom. And then July, there was no in-person meeting because they typically don't meet in July over the summer because uh, you know uh, school is out of session. And then uh, and the staff are out too. But then in August, uh, oddly enough, they reduced it down to 18, of one eight, just 18 chairs from the 100 and plus so chairs. And this was around that time, like I said, that we started to raise these uh, questions and try to help uh, or expose that they were kind of hiding this and not answering the questions. So we wanted the public to be aware. We were asking the school board to give us answers. Um, now during the school board meetings and public comments, they're not allowed to, to dialogue back. So it's really just us talking. Um, and, and Jeremy can tell his part here in, in a few minutes because he was the first one to, um, to, to make an attempt to speak about it during some public comments. Um, but then we fast forward to what really I think led to our uh, them really taking some forceful action was September 14th. They had another in-person school board meeting. And again, they had the number of chairs down to 18. And it was at this point that I had made it into the school board meet, into the boardroom before they reached the maximum uh, 18 chairs. And uh, some did not. And so those that were waiting outside, there were probably about 20 to 30 waiting outside the room. And many of them were my friends. Uh, Jeremy was one of them waiting outside. And I mean, they were demanding to be let in. They weren't being violent. They weren't, um, you know, beating down doors or anything like that. But they started to peacefully protest. Let us in. Let us in. Why are you keeping us out? Asking the police officers. Uh, let me back up. I didn't even say this part. Um, the superintendent or we believe the superintendent because he is in charge of the police officers. Uh, they, uh, he directed them to block the doors to the boardroom after those 18 seats filled up. And uh, I had brought my own chair in. So there were really about three or four of us in there that weren't in one of the chairs that they had set out. And uh, so, the, so the public was asking to be let in, asked me to let in. Two of the trustees started to ask questions. Hey, why are we keeping the public out? What's going on? Um, and there was some back and forth dialogue amongst the trustees. Um, and eventually they uh, said that they weren't going to participate in the meeting because they they were they disagreed with what they believed were hostilities towards the public. And um, they thought that there was some potential uh, Texas Open Meetings Act violations going on by keeping the public out. So they ended up getting up and leaving those two, two of the seven trustees. And um, the board continued, uh, attempted to start work, going through the agenda items and continue business as usual. And they got to end up property taxes. 
And um, they were going to talk about raising the property tax rate, not just approving the rate that they had already decided on. They were going to raise it. And it was at that point, I just could not be uh, silent anymore. I knew that they were keeping community members out that wanted to be inside the meeting. And so I, I spoke up and I said, you have to stop this meeting. You're, you're talking about, um, you know, raising the public's property taxes while keeping them out. You have to stop this meeting. I got a warning that, you know, I'm not supposed to disrupt because it wasn't public comments at that moment. And that if I didn't stop, that they were going to have the police escort me out. And I, I said, oh, it's something to the effect of that's, that's fine. I'm not going to stop talking because you're keeping the public out while talking about raising their property taxes. And then so um, the, the board president, Amy Weir, she directed the police to escort me out. They escorted me out of the building. Uh, we got right outside the doors. They asked if I was OK. I said yes. The two police officers went back inside. I left the meeting. And then uh, the police showed up at my door three days later, come walking across my lawn Friday evening, about 536 o'clock, uh, knocked on the door and said that they have a warrant for my arrest. And this was the county sheriffs. And um, the school district police had issued the warrant, got a judge to sign it, and then somehow um, convinced the sheriff to come and make the arrest. And Jeremy was arrested at the exact same time because um, after I got processed, I saw him come in five minutes later. Uh, inside the jail uh, area. And what's interesting though, and I'm gonna let Jer Jeremy get his part in here in just a second, but what's interesting about them making the arrest for these class A misdemeanors is that the Williamson County Sheriff's Department right now has a COVID policy where they aren't uh, making arrests um, unless it's a DWI, an assault, or, or it's a felony charge. So someone asked this sheriff to make an exception and we still don't know who that someone is, and we don't know what was told to him um, to make us out to be so dangerous, these two dads that are coming to the school board meeting um, speaking up, that we had to be arrested in our homes, brought into the jail on a Friday evening when there were no magistrates so that we would intentionally, purposely, so that we would have to spend the night in jail. And so that that's kind of, <laughs> I know that was kind of long-winded, but that is really, I was trying to give a little bit of the background and the context around you know, what led up to this and, and really what it was about, because later on the school district and the local media tried to um, paint a picture that it was a bunch of parents upset about masks. And that was not what most of us were even there for. Um, we were there to, to continue to call out the misconduct of the board and to talk about the allegations on the superintendent. Jeremy, I know I've got a lot of questions, but I know that your time is limited. I'd love to hear like your thoughts on what happened and you know how it, how it might have been different from you than it was from Dustin. I think Dustin did a good job of kind of summarizing a lot of things and you know the more details you learn is what I what I would say the um and I the worse it gets really. Um I mean there's so much that this board has done to abuse power and to deceive the community. Uh, and to take illegal action uh, that you can't even describe it briefly. That's, that's how bad it is. It's hard to figure out how to summarize. I think Dustin and I often uh, in these interviews struggle to try to figure out how do you summarize such a volume of illegal action, abuse of power, and um, other things in a short period of time. Uh, so I think Dustin did a good job summarizing that. I would say, you know, that's why I got involved too, was basically the suit, they were hiring a superintendent. And uh, one thing, one detail he didn't mention, but I think I would add 
to that is when they were hiring the superintendent, one of the many concerns that were expressed was that the superintendent had in his prior district, Donna ISD, which is a small district on the south border of Texas, that he had uh, issued unlawful restraining order against a 68-year-old Hispanic grandmother uh, because she was outspoken in his district. And the restraining order, which I've read, says that um, she could not go on campus for two years. Now, I've interviewed this lady since and found out that she still doesn't have a never had a hearing on that. You know, it was just sort of presented to her at her door that she needed to have his permission or the permission of the officers to go on campuses, which means that she could not go to a board meeting to further protest, in other words. And so we, we saw that this sort of unlawful use of school district police, because he had control of the police there, the school district police in Donna, was one of the concerns that we were expressing when he was merely a candidate. Um, and, and it is more than ironic that now we are facing the same situation amplified in our district, our district here in Round Rock. And so uh, that was the concern we expressed. And what we basically said is a remedy for that at that time was, and I, when I say we, I mean lots of parents, lots of people, lots of stakeholders. We basically said to the board, before you vote on this gentleman, could you please just vet him for another week or two? I mean, that's not a really high demand. You know, this whole thing with the Biden administration about, you know, crazy parents and all these things. We were simply saying, this guy unlawfully used a restraining order last month or the month before, you're about to hire him. Could you just vet him a little further? Maybe you haven't seen this. And uh, could you take a week or two to do that? And they, the board, in particular, five out of the seven, saw no reason to delay the hire in any way, shape, or form. Uh, there were several other things brought up. They, 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 they just rushed ahead and they hired him that, in that moment. And what really got me concerned was in that moment, I was in the board meeting and they hired him, which I thought was really strange. I thought, why would you do something like that with these concerns? Why would you not at least take another week? But now that these have surfaced, two board members voted no, Daniel Bone and Mary Weston. I watched that. And then I saw the board president, Amy Ware, stand up walk, and, and say, uh, by the way, we have this superintendent, with the new superintendent with us today. He's traveled all the way from Don ISD, six hours, driven here, she says, to be with us. And I look around, I'm thinking, I don't see him. And all of a sudden, as I look behind me, they're pulling him out of a back room. And he's flanked by district employees. And they release a video like about a minute later that's fully edited, right? Uh, which I know you can't do in seconds like this, uh, with him accepting that he's been hired. And then, so I'm thinking because of my history with political involvement and just knowing the government well, I have a major in political science and whatnot. I'm thinking, you know what? They have violated the Texas Open Meetings Act. They coordinated this ahead of time, this hire, and that's why they weren't willing to slow it down. They'd already agreed on what they were going to do. And they'd done this outside of the public eyes, which is a illegal violation of law that carries with it prison terms. And so I'm sitting here just thinking this in my head going, oh my goodness. And as I'm thinking it, the other two board members who voted no, who said, yes, let's delay. One of them says, um, is this supposed to be on the agenda? We didn't even know he was here. And the other one expresses concern too. And so I realized that those two in that moment had no idea that he was in the back room, which means that the other five knew, but they didn't. And later that came out that that was true. And even later, once this lady who, um, who has made these allegations, a credible educator from Austin, has made these allegations that she was in an affair with President Aziz and that he uh, abused her, uh, actually assaulted her because he got her pregnant and then tried to cover it up so he could keep his job 
with Round Rock Independent School District. And she's making these allegations. Well, as she's telling me that, we begin to realize that um, there are other witnesses that prove that there was behind the scenes coordination to hire the superintendent. So the two stories start merging together. Um, other people who were who were around the victim and other and the victim herself to say, yeah, this was a coordination done um, of hiring him ahead of time. And that it even goes so far as they were giving him answers and things ahead of time. It's bad. Uh, and then since that time, I began to get more involved because after I spoke out about this egregious violation where they're just hiring the superintendent, backroom coordination, that's when I found out and was contacted by this victim who said that the story goes far deeper and that she was running scared at that point because the board, um, when she went to them to tell them that she had been assaulted and that the board president had threatened her via text message uh, after she refused to get an abortion. She was scared out of her mind. She contacted the board uh, to try to get help from them. And five of them basically ignored her. A couple discredited her. Um, and, and instead, some of them actually went and told the superintendent that, that the victim had made these claims. And, and what actually happened was at that point, she wasn't a victim. She was just making claims that, that there were some concerns that she had been threatened. And after she told the board and the board then told the superintendent, the next day he goes over and assaults her at her home. So the board, a couple of members of the board were actually a part of the process that ended up getting this woman assaulted. Um, and so when I found all that out and began to research it and found that those claims and allegations were credible uh, by looking at the evidence, the text messages, the phone call records and other things, uh, I, began, I spoke out at a board meeting. I went to a board meeting to speak out. It was about a month prior to the incident Dustin talked about. Um, and when I went in, they, of course, called me to the stand to speak. It was, my, it was my allotted time during public comments. Before I could get to the stand, Amy Weir said, Mr. Story, I, I think you're going to speak about something that's non-germane. I, I hear that you believe you can do that. Well, I'm here to tell you you can't. You, you can't speak about this matter. I had said nothing. So um, how she knew what I was going to speak about for certain, you know, is for the public to decide. But the point is... <laughs> I mean, the reason is I'd written them letters saying, hey, you need to investigate. There's something going on here. And she and uh, five of the, the other five, the four board members with her had basically written me back dismissing, saying they weren't going to do anything about it and that there was no need to do anything about it and that they couldn't do anything about it. It wasn't even their role to do anything about this um, and, and various ways of, of denying it. And so... Uh, by the time I came into the board meeting, it was because I had tried to get do that privately with the board and it hadn't worked. I'd tried it on social media to try to help them come to that conclusion. It hadn't worked. So then I finally go to the board meeting to discuss it in public in a board meeting and to say, this is a problem. And as I walk up, she then tries to cut me off before I even begin speaking. So I said to her, hey, Miss um, Weir, uh, are you saying that you don't want to hear me explain why what I'm about to say is germane? Because I believe I'm going to explain to you right now why what I'm saying is very germane. And she said back to me in front of all of the crowd, and it's on video, no, I don't want you to do that. <laughs> I said, oh, oh, Miss Weir, and this is about how it's going. I'm not exaggerating. Just, I was very calm, Miss Weir. Um, are you saying you don't want me to speak? And she said, yes. 
And then she said, well, I mean, no, I mean, yes. And so I said, okay, well, good. Since you agreed that I can speak and I'll begin. And I began. And she tried to talk over me for a second, then she stopped. And I began to explain the resolution that they were debating about that night. And I quoted it several different places, which was about public safety. It said public safety of citizens and parents and teachers. And it was also about oversight of the superintendent. There was a clause in there about that. It's a two-page resolution. I quoted a good bit of it. And then I said, and I don't believe you're really concerned about public safety and all these things. I, don't, I think that that is a smokescreen, that you're not really concerned about that. Here's why, because the superintendent has a protective order. And the second I got the word protective order out, and I was using the superintendent as an example to prove that they had no concern for public safety, which was absolutely germane to the resolution, she yelled, that's not appropriate. That's not germane. You can't, you have to stop. And she banged her gavel really loud, waved her hand, called the police, the school district police, who then came from behind me, grabbed me by both arms, drug me out of the board meeting, drug me down a hall across the cafeteria and pushed me out the front door. And this was in August, right, Jeremy? This was like yeah, a, it was a month before thing. the incident that Dustin described, um, where they, uh, you know, had limited the chairs to 18. This is the, the, the first time. And, and, and basically, you know, re remove me from my free speech rights, uh, all of that, uh, unlawfully restrain me, uh, unlawfully uh, use public oppression. To, I mean, there's, uh, there's a lot of different penal code violations, but the point is that the only one, and then later, you know, a month later, uh, I am charged with uh, the same thing Dustin's charged with, hindering meetings with intent to disrupt uh, and arrested. And, and they got a warrant on that same Friday, a month later, a couple hours later, they have, they've, they've got, a, they've got, they've made an exception to be able to book us into the prison and they're at our porch. And with about four hours after 30 days and nothing, then within four hours, we are public enemy number one to the point that you treat a misdemeanor to this level and create these exceptions with the jail booking policy and use probably about four different squad cars between his house and mine to simultaneously arrest us for a misdemeanor. Yeah. And as, the as only we one that was disrupting the meeting that day was yeah. Amy Weir. When I was there, that was the only one. I was speaking in my normal public comments. She interrupted me. So if somebody should be charged and put in jail, I think it's Amy Weir. Because she she's the one that interrupted me when I walked to the stand. She's the one that interrupted me once I began speaking. And then she's the interrupt one that interrupted me in the middle of my speech. Simply because she didn't agree with my example. Well, I have news for Miss Weir. If you try to unrule everybody's examples in a board meeting uh, because they're not, quote, germane to a particular resolution, you'd have to have arrested every parent in there because every single time I listen to somebody give examples, they're not in the resolution. That's the nature of an example. When you say, oh, the reason why I can say this is because this student or the reason why I can say this is because this parent or I experienced this in the school. <laughs> if we have to rule all that out as non-germane, it's going to be a very full jail at the end of every board meeting because about every parent does that. Miss Weir did that for one reason only, to cover her own malfeasance. And then Miss Weir collaborated and others collaborated with the police and the school district and everything to put Dustin and I in prison, in jail overnight, to silence us further. And that is the truth of what's really going on. Not parents who are irate and crazy and all these things you hear from the Biden administration, school board members, in this case, who are malfeasant and who are themselves the ones that are being disruptive. Yeah, and, and before you, you jump into questions, if I could, I just want to make two little points to piggyback on what Jeremy just ended there. Um, you know, I think there have been some cases where, you know, parents have gotten out of control and threatened, you know, board members of violence. I'm sure that has happened. 
But I think the vast majority of what's going on across this country are examples like mine and Jeremy's, where, um, you know, in the past, school boards have been able to just kind of operate business as usual. Very few people show up to the meetings. You know, they really kind of just do what they want. Um, and recently, over the past year and, and more so over the past six months, um, I think we've seen a good thing. We've seen parents wake up and say, I need to be more involved. I need to know what's going on. I need to hold these elected leaders accountable. I elected them. I need to go make sure I hold them accountable. Otherwise, um, a, a friend of mine says, uh, you get the government you deserve. Whatever you vote for, you know, those are the people that get elected. You, you get what you deserve, right? Um, but also what makes our country so great is that we do. Uh, it's a First Amendment right that we, uh, we're allowed to petition our, our, gov our, our government for our grievances. And so what we're seeing now is parents coming and waking up and saying, hey, that's not right. Hey, hey what you're doing there is not right. And, and not only are, are we upset about it, but then when they don't do something about it or deny it or go to lengths like use, you know, police officers to block doors to, you know, try to prevent you from speaking, that is what is upsetting parents. When they are overstepping what, you know, what we believe when they're stepping over our, our parental rights and our, our individual rights, just our freedom of speech, that's where parents are having a problem. And, and I believe it is, it's, it's imperative. That parents continue you, to show up and, and continue to go ahead. Sorry, Justin. No, that we continue to show up. That we don't let you know letters from the National School Board Association or letters from the Department of Justice um, intimidate us. And it's funny because they're accusing us of the harassment and intimidation parents, right? But really, what we're seeing is the elected officials and the school board associations and the DOJ. I believe intimidate us and harass us and try to try to squelch um, and 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 make us not want to show up at these meetings. And then the last point I, I wanted to make was um, this all start this all started in the middle of summer. You know, after he was hired, what Jeremy and I have been doing was we are speaking out for a woman who came forward um, and asked for help and said that I believe I'm in danger. Um, this thing is going on. You know, he, he, he's threatening me. And then the school, one of the school board members um, w gave him this information. And then she was assaulted a day. I think it was a day later. And, and so Jeremy and I, when we really found started to learn all these details, we continued to speak up and advocate for this woman. And, and this is not to make light of any assault or any uh, of any woman or to say that any uh, woman's claim is um, is is more credible than another. But I do want to point out that this woman who is making these allegations, she's a high level educator in Austin ISD. She's not just somebody that's out there trying to make a buck or, you know, she had a lot to lose. By coming forward with these allegations, she can torpedo her own career. She can torpedo her reputation. Her, her name is likely going to get out there. She has a lot to lose. She's not just somebody, you know, just making a claim because she's upset and she wants to ruin this man's life. This man was trying to ruin her life and she tried to come forward with it. And then members of the community came forward to support her. And, and this is what has been the result. In Dustin's case, also going back to the National School, School Board Administration letter uh, and, and, and what really is going on in these districts and using Round Rock as an example, uh, my case is fairly obvious. <laughs> so it's, it's prima facie obvious that I was, I was not disruptive. They were disruptive. In Dustin's case, it, uh, there's a detail he didn't share that, that really shows that too. Um, 
He's inside the meeting. I and other parents are being literally locked out under police force out of the meeting. Dustin's sitting there. And the board, this is what they do. They vote for a tax increase. Here's a detail that wasn't mentioned. Why do they have a tax increase? Why do they need to do that? Well, because in September, they had a surprise $30 million deficit because 3,000 students have fled the district. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and rather than go, oh, that might be because of us. They think, well, we'll fix this by raising taxes. And then Dustin says, wait a second, that's unlawful. You can't do that with the number of votes you have, right? Um, because they didn't. In fact, now they have been sued by members of the district from Aust the Austin area of our district um, for unlawful tax increase. And that's a live court case right now being considered. But here's what happens when you listen to what Dustin said about how it's the board's twisting the truth in many of these districts probably across the country, but ours is a perfect example. So they passed this tax increase. They kicked Dustin out the back door with the police. Then, they, then after they passed the tax increase, they adjourned the meeting after that voluntarily, right? The volunteer, so, so all this is going on. They were able to do business. They passed a tax increase. That's one of the most substantial pieces of business a school board can do. Then they adjourn the meeting voluntarily, and then they issue a press release, the, the, the five. Because see, two board members fled the room. They just left. They said, we're not going to stick around in this environment because you guys are violating the Open Meetings Act, and we don't want to go to prison. So we're going to leave. So now there's five of them remaining. Those five remaining board members vote for a tax increase, then adjourn the board meeting, then issue a press release that says we couldn't do business because of disruptive parents. Well, <laughs> um, that's just Orwellian doublespeak is what that is. That, that is completely a lie. But that's what gets out to the press. Parents disrupted meeting. No, what happened was you increased taxes after two board members fled because you were holding parents outside the room with police, and then you made it look like the parents were the problem. Now, you know what actually happened? One of those parents, me, called 911 from the hallway when the police shoved me down to the ground and tied me around a pole with their arms, and then when the police agreed that they would come, and it came out that the city police were going to be coming to the school, and I'm on the phone out in the hallway, it was minutes after that that the remaining five decided they better adjourn the board meeting. So you tell me whether they were adjourning the board meeting because they couldn't do business or because they wanted to keep their business out of jail because they didn't want the cops at the school that were not their own controlled cops. That's my theory because it was mysterious to me why only minutes after I finally got the cops to decide they were going to come from the city uh, that all of a sudden the board adjourns and then they issue a false press release. So how many other of these districts, like Dustin was talking about, are just like Round Rock, where what you read in the news isn't what actually happened, that the parents weren't being irate or threatening, but actually the board was being irate and threatening? You know, and I want to clarify one thing, too, because this is what was in the press. The reason that they were saying that you were disruptive was um, it was a mask issue. I mean, am yeah. I right? That's what the, the press picked that up. Yeah, that was kind of the narrative that uh, from the, the statements that um, I believe the communications director, I'm not sure exactly what she told the press, but that was what the press was was saying. Now, it was probably in part because on the agenda, the very last agenda item, they were going to discuss extending a temporary mask mandate that they uh, had implemented in August. And so when when they like when they released that official statement, like Jeremy said, where they said they had to adjourn the meeting because of disruptive parents it, 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 uh, and that they couldn't do business. That was the other thing. They said they could not finish 
you know, they couldn't do business. They had to just, uh, they had to adjourn the meeting. They got the tax uh, increase thing done and then adjourned the meeting and did not address extending the mask mandate, which uh, parents would have had a chance to speak on publicly. And so by doing that, they ended the meeting, ended further public comments, and then a week later had to hold another meeting um, to make sure they addressed that because they they wanted to, in fact, inc- uh, extend that that mask mandate. They had fully intended on doing that, and then they did that a week later. So they found time to uh, debate about, discuss, and even deal, deal, deal with the legal ramifications of the tax increase. If you read the transcript, uh, I was, of course, locked out of the board meeting by police, but I watched the video afterward and I've read the transcript and they're debating this tax increase. They say to the lawyer, do you think this is the board lawyer? Can we do this? Is this legal? Can we increase the taxes in this way? And the board lawyer says back to them, I kid you not. He says, well, we can always try it and see what happens. <laughs> so they, they have, <laughs> uh, they ha- I, I just don't even know how to explain that. I mean, that's what happened. And, and so they had the time to debate all that and the legal theory behind that, which was flimsy. But for some reason, they arbitrarily felt they didn't have time to debate the masks. And I'll tell you why. But were you there? Were you there? That's why. Right. Were you there to deal with the masks at all? Was that on your agenda? No. 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 You know, you'd never know because when I tried to testify the first time, the board president had me hauled out of the room with the police. And that's the reason why free speech is important because the public doesn't know what I was going to speak because they removed my right to free speech and violated my civil rights. And as a result, we're having these conversations, right? And, and then on top of it, they tried to put words in my mouth that I never said. I was not speaking about uh, masks as a primary focus. The resolution was about COVID and the need for public safety and all these things. Um, but it was two-page resolution. It was about a couple last sentences of it were about a COVID extended leave for, um, for the teachers. Uh, and I was explaining why I didn't have a problem with the COVID leave and, and the issue we're dealing there. But all this fake concern for two pages of it over public safety and oversight of the superintendent seemed disingenuous to me since they were sitting next to a man who had this protective order against him. Um, and, and that's what I was going to say. Uh, but, but no, nobody ever knew that because I didn't get to speak fully. And Jerry, if I can interrupt it for David and Jennifer and for, you know, the audience listening, I think to uh, try to help keep the timeline straight here, there was a, a meeting in August. That was the one that Jeremy went to speak about and was removed from. And then uh, the the next one, which is where you know they had to uh, they did the the tax vote and they they adjourned the meeting early. That was September fourteenth meeting, and that was the one I was escorted out of. And so the uh, COVID masking or the mask mandate was on both of those agendas because they approved it. Uh, it was on the agenda and they approved it in August, but it was supposed to be for thirty days. And then they were going to uh, on their next regular monthly board meeting in September they were going to. Um, revisit it and, and vote whether or not they were going to extend it or not. And that's the one where they kept many, uh, much of the public out. Now, there were some community members there to speak about it because there were people from both sides. There were people that wanted to uh, keep the mask mandate going, and there were those that um, did not. Jeremy and I, on September 14th, and many others were not there to even talk about masks. Um, again, we, we were mostly there to, to bring uh, attention and shed light on some of the misconduct of the board and the allegations of the superintendent. And the first time that I spoke, um, they had not yet fully implemented a mask mandate uh, when, when, when they pulled me off the stand, which begs the question in my mind, quite honestly, and, I, and as I've watched their actions, 
and the superintendent's actions to try to cover up the real malfeasance that they've had, of which there's a variety, some of which I haven't even mentioned, is, is it, was it really ever about masks anyway for them? Or did they pass this mass ordinance and the superintendent joined with them in doing so to create such a smokescreen that we wouldn't be talking about the real issues, which is their abuse of power. And uh, the fact that he has a significant allegation about assaulting someone before, after threatening them, right? Um, and, and the school board kind of being collaborative and hiring this guy and all that. It, I think personally that the masks, uh, their, their strong concern over masks, which came after I started trying to out them for all this stuff. I think it was a major smokescreen to distract people. Well, on that note, you know, was the reason that for the September 14th board meeting that there were only 18 seats? Uh, that's what I'm curious about, too. So they went from, if I heard you right, uh, Dustin, they went from 375 chairs in the boardroom to 100 to 120 chairs to 18 chairs. What was the reason that they kept on going down? Were they using, saying that it was COVID? Um, yeah. Or, Okay, but 18 yes. in a room that used to hold 375. Yeah. So it's, that... it's a, that's, that's a great question. It's something we, we really didn't highlight. Um, they, they cited, you know, COVID safety as the reason uh, for, for having to reduce it down to 18 shares. But the uh, interesting thing is, is that that policy of having these distance seats and only so many seats in a room was being applied nowhere in the school district. I know just last night there was a middle school band concert where uh, I believe a couple hundred parents showed up. Uh, most of them were not wearing masks. Uh, theater is going on, football, basketball, volleyball, uh, other uh, open forums for student outcomes, classrooms. This policy is only or was only being applied right there in that boardroom for that board meeting only. And then uh, the following week, so remember, so September 14th was when things really came to a head. And then September 17th is when we were arrested. A week after September 14th, they had to have that meeting. Um, they had to do another called meeting to be able to extend the mask mandate. So this time, because of all of the negative press that they got and how things came to a head, they moved the location to, a, to one of the performing arts centers um, that, that were owned by the school district which holds, I don't know, probably four or 500 people. And there were probably two to 300 people that showed up. And lo and behold, there was no um, distancing. There were no seats taped off where you couldn't sit. People were sitting together, masked, unmasked. Um, and then this past month, so I think it was just last week, we had a school board meeting. And on Tuesday, a parent had emailed the superintendent and said, hey, the Thursday board meeting that's coming up this week, is there gonna be a seating capacity limit again? He responded with, yes, it'll be 50. So we went from hundreds in the summer to 18 in August, to 18 uh, in September. When things came to a head in September, we moved to a PAC center where there were hundreds. Then we went back to 50. Now, mind you, they, they cited COVID. So did COVID disappear? And they, they, there was no written policy. So none of this was ever written down. It's not published anywhere. It was not in the board's agenda that they were going to restrict seating and why. But the superintendent did cite that he made the decision. This was September 14th, that he made the decision and it was due to COVID safety. Um, and then so last week when they said that they were going to restrict it to 50, uh, many of us uh, 
organized uh, parents to get together. We organized a press conference. We had all of the local Austin major media outlets there, and we were bringing to light these um, arbitrary capacity limits that were just changing by the day that really had no rhyme or reason behind them. And um, sure enough, they increased it to 79 that night. So for them to cite COVID um, to me is laughable because of the inconsistency, not only for that meeting, but that this policy is being applied nowhere else in the school district, nowhere. It's really humorous because, I mean, it's not humorous. It's actually downright scary, but uh, it's silly. It's, it's like child play because they were saying, well, you have to be six feet apart in, in, in that meeting in August. Uh, not in August, sorry, in September. The, Dustin was talking about the September 14th meeting. And then they changed it in this most recent meeting to now you have to be three feet apart. Right. But even in the six feet apart meeting, uh, they there were parents like Dustin that brought in their own chairs uh, and then sat, tried to sit six feet apart and things like that. And they were still being threatened to be pulled out of the room, even though they were six feet apart. So then you have to conclude. Apparently, the board believes that COVID only spreads if you're not sitting in a government approved chair. They're like lawn chairs somehow have a different COVID policy, I guess, than do, say, uh, government-approved plastic chairs. I, I don't know. Um, that, that's the insanity we're talking about here. And so most people who are rational people, which is most everyone, would can easily see that what was actually going on was, I believe, a smokescreen of creating this masking issue to divide parents and to create a smokescreen to cover over their real malfeasance, reducing chairs to keep people out of the boardroom so that not as many people would know about what's going on, repeatedly voting down the other two board members who were trying to get this sort of thing on the agenda about what the board was doing to cover up this allegation of assault and other things they were doing wrong, and the other five would vote them down and not allow it to be on the agenda. All of these things had a purpose, and it was to silence the truth from getting out, and ultimately to silence any parents who knew of the truth and were trying to explain the board's malfeasance in hiring the superintendent and where the superintendent, what the superintendent had done after he got hired. And so uh, that, that was the whole purpose. That's the meta story is that the, the only reason why this makes sense, what they're doing isn't COVID, isn't masks. It's covering up their own mistakes and their own illegal actions. So are you guys, I know the time is running short. I've got a my final question unless David has something. What do you guys think about running for school board yourself? We've seen it happen in what, what, what yeah. was it, South Lake? Yeah, no, uh, yeah, we've been meeting with a number of parents, or at least I have. Um, I, I had thought about it at one point. Um, I think I'm on the fence with it. And I say I'm on the fence with it because um, I, I do recognize that mo so most school boards, they, they, don't, they don't pay their trustees. It's a thankless job. It's a unpaid job. Um, right now, you're under very high scrutiny, which I'm not above being under scrutiny, but it takes a toll on not just the person, uh, but but the spouse and children. And I know just my involvement over the past six months, um, it really has taken a, a, a toll on my family. And so uh, we'll see how things go over the next couple of months. Like I said, right now, I think I'm on the fence with it, but I am uh, working with a group of parents who is, uh, is getting together to try to find a slate of great candidates because of those five that we keep talking about, four of their seats are up for election next November. So November, 2022. And so, yeah, we, we, we've got an effort underway to, to find, 
you know, if it's not me, um, I, I don't think Jeremy's planning on running out, let him answer in a second, but um, our goal is to find uh, four just solid candidates that are there because they want to um, improve student outcomes. We've seen a, a horrendous loss of learning over the past year and a half. And um, I, I, I feel for teachers. They're, having, they're struggling because they just moved every kid to the next grade. And so now teachers are struggling with how do I teach what I have to teach for this grade level, but also I've got to catch them up to this grade level. And there's no easy answer. Um, but over the past four or five months, it seems like these five board members have focused more on the superintendent and covering things up and, you know, smoke screening with mask mandates than they are about student outcomes. They're just now getting to student outcomes. And that's it's just it's not good for a student. So, yeah, we're working, uh, working with some other parents to, to find, find some good solid candidates that want to make our school district better, but ultimately want to make things better for our students. And for me, you know, I've had people ask me that on a daily basis. Um, almost every meeting I'm in, uh, I don't presently have plans to run for the school board. Um, I do know, uh, as Dustin knows, that you know there's many people in the community <laughs> as a result of this, many great people that want to run for the school board, right? Uh, if, if for some reason you know there weren't enough, maybe we would be more thinking about it, but there are so many <laughs> good candidates who wanna run uh, because of the board's actions and because of all this coming out uh, that I think we're going to have plenty of people that want to run and even thousands more that want to vote. Um, and that's even assuming that these board members make it to that next election in terms of being in office. Um, if they continue to prosecute me and Dustin, I can speak for myself. I won't speak for Dustin. Uh, they haven't decided whether they're going to prosecute us. They're, the county attorney's looking at it and all that. But if they continue to double down on this, uh, they need to know that I'm not backing down. And it will only result in me working to, to make sure they are legally removed from their offices um, because what they're doing is so illegal. Uh, the best thing they need to do right now is apologize and resign and drop the charges. And so um, I'm not worried so much about an election. I think what they need to be worried about is, are, is, is how fast can they leave the office that they're in presently? And they need to do it all together, all five of them, because they were all involved. A couple of them are worse off because they were even more involved and they have legal implications as a result. But all of them were involved in terms of just being a bad school board member and violating one of the five or six reasons that when you violate as a school board member by Texas Constitution and by board policy, you can be removed. And so um, I don't think we need to be worried about who's going to run. I think we need to be worried about how fast can they run out of office right now. You know, I think though on the upside of all this, what I'm hearing is I there is this new kind of rejuvenation, if you will, of like civic duty and the idea of voting and getting involved also in like local politics, you know, I mean, we're, I mean, that's where you vote for your school board, right? And so um, in some ways, some of the hubbub, if you will, I hope we see a reinvigoration of kind of that local level civic participation, which is what you guys got you guys here in the first place. I mean, we, like you said, a lot of parents weren't going to school board meetings, you know, <laughs> and now there's standing room only. So I appreciate every everything that you guys have done. Yeah, no, I think it's a great point, Jennifer. And, um, you know, I was talking to somebody about this a couple of months ago, and, and uh, I was actually talking to um, somebody who's an advisor um, for, for a high level state uh, elected official here in Texas. And, you know, I was kind of poking back at them and saying, you know, why isn't he doing something about X? 
And, and she said something that still stuck with me. She said, well, I agree, but if he does everything about everything, people like you would never get involved. So, you know, there, there are some limits to, you know, all of our elected officials have to pick their battles. And right now, you know, we're, we're down to a part where um, it's great. It is great to see these, to see parents like us and others um, come to these school board meetings, you know, because I bet if we went back and watched, um, you know, a year ago or well, I guess pre-pandemic, there may have been a handful, two, three, four people sitting in these school board meetings. And so I think it's a good thing. Now, uh, we're going to go through some growing pains and school board members are feeling a little intimidated because they've got parents showing up and saying, hey, you're not doing your job. Well, maybe you need to take a look in the mirror and say, am I doing my job? Am I do- and am I doing it right? Am I doing it well? And that should be the wake up call, not let's let's try to see how we can keep parents from coming in. Let's see how we can work together. Let's see how we can do a better job. Let's see how we can come to the community and say, hey, I screwed up. We screwed up. We're going to fix it and we're going to make it right. Instead, to use kind of Jeremy's word, there's a lot of doubling down and that's not going to fix things. You know, so hopefully, you know, we'll go through some growing pains, but I hope the community continues to stay engaged. And I hope school board members start to, you know, really look in the mirror and say, "Okay, are we doing what's best for the community, what's best for the kids? And the meta story of COVID in, in public education is this, based on what Dustin is saying. Here's, here's what my wife and I have talked about this. What you really are seeing, COVID caused school to go virtual. That meant that all of a sudden, all that was being taught and done in schools a lot was in the middle of parents' living rooms because students were sitting on their computers and they could see things they couldn't see before. It was right, right there in their face. And so all of a sudden, what happened was public education became more transparent by force. That's where we're all talking about transparency today. We're talking about in the terms of a board meeting and crazy police being called and all that, but it's all a lack of transparency, which is the lesson that obviously these people didn't learn, (laughs) which is the reason why all the parents are getting involved is because they had an opportunity to have a window into the school education, the public education system of our country, across the country. And when they looked into that window of transparency, they didn't like what they saw. And as a result, they got involved. And they've gotten involved more and more. And as they've tried to get more and more involved, all of a sudden that wall is going back up. And what's happening is the parents are saying, wait, 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 this is public education. Remove the wall. <laughs> and the boards often are saying, no, we don't have to. We're at wall. And in our case, the wall was, you go to jail. <laughs> I laugh because it is that ridiculous. But that's the meta story. And, and, it, and it was a societal shift that happened because of COVID, of which many things happened. And, and this is what we're seeing. This is why we're at this place, I believe, is that parents saw what was really going on, which is why it is so important that we fight across the country politically, not physically, and, and for transparency and public education that empowers parents to see what's really going on so that we can truly ultimately achieve excellence in education. Because creating a black box around education where only the educators and the victim kids get to see it. And I mean, the kids that are victims in the school of this what that produces is a lot of bad stuff. And so my question to the public educators and the boards across this country is, why would you, and I, I think many of the teachers are all, all, all for this, but my question for the administrators and the school boards are, why on earth would you not want that wall to be removed? And why would you not like the idea of transparency? If you're against that and public participation, why? I think that's the question people need to ask. Why did the Biden administration go to such lengths 
to basically get a nonprofit or the National School Board Administration to write a letter so they could, in essence, respond to themselves, the administration responding to themselves, to then condemn parents as domestic terrorists because they were speaking out. Why is it so fearful that we can't be transparent in public education? That's a big question the public needs to be asking. And it's, it's, it's ironic in a way that as the pandemic made us less public in the sense of like socially public, we became more public with regards, namely to education, but just in general, that there is that, that transparency. I mean, we've seen that story play out several times, you know, with parents going, holy crap, <laughs> what is going on in your TV screen right there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And I think, I think Jeremy hit the nail on the head when, you know, he said it's public education. And um, that's what our, that's what amazing thing about our country and our government is supposed to be, that it's transparent, that it's open, that it's public, you know, that uh, the average citizen can go run for an elected position. Um, And when we start to throw up walls, um, you're going to chase parents out of these public schools. I mean, that's what's going to come to. And uh, I think public schools are great. But to Jeremy's point, why wouldn't you want parents involved? You know, I, I think. I bet there's, I think there's a number of studies and I couldn't cite one right now, but that shows that students that have the greatest outcomes, that have the best grades, you know, that, that graduate, it's because they had, well, it's because they had a father at home a lot of times, but uh, a, a two parent household, that's usually the number one indicator. But just the fact that your parent is involved in your education, shows up to your, you know, to eat lunch with you, shows an interest in making sure you get your homework done, you know, is asking the teacher, is going to the parent teacher conferences. When when that when that partnership of the parent and the the school uh, is there, when we have that little partnership, it's great for the kid. When we don't, it's not going to be good for the kids. You know who's really losing too? There's all this debate about the critical race theory, right? And and people call it different things, but this idea that that one race should retaliate against the other because of past things that have been bad badly done to them. But you know who's really losing in this lack of transparency of school districts? All the inner city districts and areas where underrepresented people in our country uh, are, a lot of minorities are in particular, and I think they're the ones that are losing the worst. I know that because I grew up in the inner city, you know, and, and uh, I, <laughs> we would have gangs take over our school. So those inner city areas are, are, are the ones that are losing the most because of the lack of transparency. And, and, and I just say, we've got to unite across race and political theory and all of that to advocate for transparency and public education. Why is it so important? Because it's the future of our country. It's, it's, it's where the government is, is basically allowed to influence the whole future generations. If there's anything that should be transparent in our country, it is that. Yeah. Well, I think we've got a lot of work to do. On, um, <laughs> Thank you for taking it's the really charge. Unbelievable guys thank you thank you very interesting to be continued yeah and and uh if if we could for your listeners if anyone is interested in in helping uh jeremy and i because we do have to pay for a a criminal defense um if if anyone's interested in helping jeremy you have a you've set up a website for our for giving right i don't know if we 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 have to raise about eighty thousand dollars for this uh to make sure that this board doesn't continue to to double down on all that and, and, and prosecute us and to defend ourselves 
but to also to make sure that, they, that this isn't some sort of precedent that's established that then other boards can use. That would be horrible, horrible. So Dustin and I realized that we're not just fighting for ourselves, we're fighting for districts across the state and maybe even across the country. Um, and so we set up riseforstudents.org, R-I-S-E-F-O-R, students.org. Uh, you can also get it at .com and .net. And it's um, a group funding page where you can, A, see the timeline that Dustin's been referring to uh, and get a little more details, but you can also give to uh, our legal fund. Every last dime of that is going to our legal. We do not, Dustin and I will not receive any of that. It only goes to defending ourselves legally and to making sure that this board is not allowed to do this anymore. And we have set a precedent that no other boards can as well. Riseforstudents.org. I will include that also in the podcast notes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. All right, you guys, I hope that this is the first of several conversations. So keep us posted on how you're doing and, and we'll check in with you again soon. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks, David. Thanks Thank a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hold My Drink. Like or subscribe to the show and check out the show notes for links to source material and to our website where you can find what each of us is reading every week. Different news with different views. If you have a topic that you would like us to explore, drop us a line. And join us next week as we say Hold My Drink and the conversation gets real.